Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. Thank you for the blessings of your word, and we pray that you would bless Lauren especially as he preaches from your word this morning. May you anoint him with your Holy Spirit and direct his thoughts and his, the words that he speaks, that uh, this would all be done for your honor and for your glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Greetings in Christ's name this morning, and welcome to our time of worship here this morning. It's my prayer that the Spirit of the Lord could move among us today, work in our hearts, and establish us in His ways. For a message today, I've chosen to look at one of the parables of Jesus and how we, as His children, relate to the grace and favor that. He has shown us. Like I said, it's one of the parables of Jesus, and he shared with his disciples. During his ministry, he oftentimes used parables, he used stories and objects to portray the message that he was trying to share with his people. So, the parable that I want to look at this morning is taken from Matthew 25, is where I'll be reading today. And this account comes on the heels of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he rode the young colt into Jerusalem. His crucifixion was coming soon, and he had just pronounced judgment on the scribes and Pharisees for their continuation of their persecution of God's prophets that their forefathers had committed so often before Jesus came. Jesus pronounced numerous woes on them for their hypocrisy in Matthew 23, and he tells of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. As he was leaving the temple, he, his disciples pointed out to him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus told them that even these buildings would be torn down stone by stone. These grand buildings that um, I think probably stirred up a lot of pride in, in the Jews' hearts we're going to be torn down to make way for the kingdom of God. And after leaving the temple, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives where he had started out on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as he returned, his disciples asked him to expound on some things he had said about the coming judgment. And so Jesus follows this up with a few parables. The first one is the, the parable of the ten virgins. The second one is the parable of the, the servants with the talents. And the third one is um, the parable of the separation of the sheep and goats and, and judgment before God. <clears throat> and you'll notice with each one of these parables, there's a thread running through them to those who are, are called to be a part of the kingdom. And that is to be diligent and engaged in the work of the kingdom the believer is to live in anticipation of the return of the master. We are to be ready for the master. So these passages are some of his parting words to his disciples. He was the master that was preparing to leave soon. So at this time, let's read. Um, I'll be reading from Matthew 25, reading verses 14 through 30. 
Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is a, is a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to the other two, and to another one. To every man according to his several abilities, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them another five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his lord's money. After a long time the lord of those servants came, cometh, and reckoneth with them, and so he that had received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five more talents. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast thine that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into, the, uh, into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we he see here a story that Jesus tells the disciples, and he is telling this to portray the idea of the concept of, of his kingdom. And he's trying to teach them through this story. And so I want to break this down and look at a few of the characters in this story, their responses and then we'll, we'll see a few lessons that we can pull from this parable. So the first one is obviously the master. And this master is portrayed as someone who's getting ready to leave and travel into a far country. And as he's preparing for this, he calls his servants together and to put them in charge of his affair. This is, uh, scenario is quite a bit different than in our modern day. You know, uh, owner of a company leaves today, he's constantly checking back through emails or phone calls, um, sending messages, and he's still in communication. You know, we can do that today, but not like, not in those days. In those days, a master traveled into a faraway place. That meant the servants were pretty much on their own. So as he leaves, he gives these three servants responsibility and to take care of his possessions. The amount of possessions that he placed into a care was quite a large sum of money. You know, you read it and it says five talents. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it is actually quite a large amount of money. One talent is 6,000 denarii, and a denarii is a common man's daily wage. So one talent is about 20 years' worth of wages. So in today's numbers, roughly, that might be $1.3 million dollars. 
So the servant with five talents is responsible for, in today's terms, about $6.7 million. The second one, 2.6, and then the last one is about $1.3 million. So this would be uh, possessions worth about $11 million. So this was a great treasure that he was putting into the hands of his servants. So it was by no means a small responsibility he was giving these men. But remember that in verse 15 it says he delivered unto them um, according to their, it says their several abilities. So he, he saw that these men were capable of handling the affairs that he was placing into their hands. It wasn't like he was giving this to a new servant that didn't have experience. They were experienced men that knew what they were doing. So I think here, um, as believers, we see the master as Christ. You know, there's two masters that we can choose in this world, the way of Christ or the way of death. The second um, point I want to look at is the servants. And during the time of Christ, servants were um, a reality for many people in that time. Many people lived as slaves and bond servants, and there was as many as a third of the population were slaves, and the other third had been slaves. So this idea of the slave-master relationship was very common to the people that Jesus was teaching. And so Jesus takes this concept from their culture and uses it to teach the disciples a lesson from, about his kingdom. And just as our um, American culture revolts at the idea of being a slave or a bond servant, the Roman culture has a similar view of being a servant. They prided themselves in their freedom and did not want to be identified as a servant. But God's way of treating servants was much different than the cultures around them. In the Old Testament, God had given instructions on how slaves were to be treated. And this was in sharp contrast to the other countries of the day. You know, there was many different ways that someone might end up a bond servant, a slave. You could be born into the position. You might have had, uh, incurred a large debt and you were a slave as a payment for that debt or possibly a crime. But in the Jewish culture, after seven years, these slaves were to be set free. And when the master set them free, they were given, to be given of the master's goods. The master was not to send them away empty-handed, but it says that they were supposed to send them away stocked liberally from his own goods. Now, the slave had the option of staying with his master. If he loved his master and wanted to stay, they would notify the officials of the town, and then they would go to the doorpost of the house, and they would pierce the man's ear through with an with a awl, and so the man would be marked for life as a bondservant. This was a lifelong commitment, and this bondservant gave up all his own rights and privilege, and he was dedicating his life of service to his master. He was no longer living his life to serve his own interests, but he was now dedicating to furthering the interests of his master. And in return, the master would provide for the needs of his bondservant. And many of these relationships became like family relationships, the servant faithfully serving his master and promoting his interest and the master caring for his servant. I think we can look at Joseph in the Old Testament as an example of a situation like this. He was brought into Potiphar's house as a slave, but then he quickly became a key member of the household, so much so that Potiphar left much of the responsibility of the household to him.
So that's kind of a, uh, the way that the servants, um, the bond servant situation worked in, in Bible times. And so now let's look at how these three servants responded as the master placed them in charge of their wealth. You know, the first one, he was given the largest amount of money. He was given five talents. And so he takes this money and he goes out and he conducts business with the funds given to him. He buys and sells things. And eventually he has taken this five talents and he has grown them into ten. He has doubled the possessions that his master has given him. The second one uses the same strategy and he also takes the amount of money he's responsible for and goes and makes into the business world and makes deals. And his deals and trades also result in doubling of his talents. He takes it from two to four talents. But then we come to the third servant and we see him taking a different angle. He has a different strategy. And what he does is he takes what's given him and hides it in the ground. And I think we've probably all heard of stories of people like trying to keep their money safe. They stow it away in some safe place, maybe in the ground or something. And so this man thought he had a safe and sure strategy. He was going to hide this money. He did not want to lose what the master has given him. And we can appreciate that fact. And it works when the master come back. There was the one talent still safe and sound. He didn't squander it. He didn't lose it. Um, he didn't waste it on, on bad living or anything like that. He had, he had it there to give back to the master who had entrusted to him. And the master was thrilled with the first servant. He commends him for his faithfulness. And he tells him that in return for his faithful service, that now he was a ruler over much more than what he had entrusted to him at first. He promotes him to be a ruler over much, much more than he had been at first. And the response to the second one is the same. And he rewards him with more and invites him to join him in rejoicing together. Now these two men had not only kept what the master had given, but they had doubled the resources given to him. The master saw the wisdom and diligence of these two and promoted them and welcomed them into his company. And there was much happiness and rejoicing as they were reunited with their master. Now we come to the last servant, and he explains his strategy to the master. If you notice, the first two, they didn't need an explanation. They had done well, but the second one, he needed to explain his strategy, you know, how he knew his master was a hard-driving businessman, and he was afraid of messing up and losing the master's money, so he dug a hole and hid it till the master's return. Here the talent was safe and sound. And instead of being thrilled with the third servant, the master was very upset. He was condemned for his, his neglect, his lack of diligence with the talent. And he takes away the talent, and he gives it to the servant with ten. The master then throws out the servant to eternal punishment. And that's quite a, a different ending than I'm sure this servant expected. He was probably expecting um, a reward for keeping this talent safe. But let's look into some of the lessons that we can learn from this and see where this third servant went astray. You know, we see the ending of this parable being both joyful and sad. We rejoice with the men that did well, but we are sad for the man who neglected his responsibility. Jesus obviously shared this parable for a reason. There's a message that he's trying to portray to his disciples as well to us today. And he uses this story 
to help grasp the concepts of his kingdom and how he desires for his children to live. As I said before, this is in the middle of the other two parables, the ten virgins and the separating of the sheep and the goats. And there's a theme of being about our Father's business. So first of all, we think about Jesus' departure. You know, Jesus was still here with his disciples when he gave this message, but Jesus has left us and he has gone back to heaven. And we see Jesus preparing his disciples for the time when he would be leaving them. And it seems his disciples have a difficult time grasping what the future will look like with Jesus gone. Jesus had not come and set up a kingdom like they had anticipated, but Jesus had a much bigger, better plan than they could even imagine. Like the master in the parable, Jesus, our master, has gone away for a time, and one day he's coming back again. And we, as his bondservants, are here on the earth representing his kingdom to the world in, the absence, in his absence. And then there's the call of the master. The master called together his servants. And Jesus is still looking for men and women today who are willing to become his bondservants. He is looking for people who love him so much that they are willing to give their whole life and dedication to serving his will and his purpose and devote their hearts and lives to growing his kingdom. Jesus calls his servants to carry out his business on, here on the earth while he has gone back to the Father for a time. And he's looking for that faithful steward who will love and care for his goods just as he does. So let's think for a moment about the master's goods and what that entails for us as believers. And I believe that covers a very broad range of things. And so uh, the things I mentioned this morning are just a few And just to stir your thinking, and I'm sure that in each one of your lives, the goods that the Master has entrusted your care are different. But I think first and foremost, we need to to recognize that the gift of life and salvation is one that we all possess. This is one of the Master's greatest possessions that he has entrusted in your care. He has given you life, he has given you hope, and and Jesus is willing to sacrifice his very life to give, give that to each one of us. So that is one of God's greatest possessions, and he desires that we do not bury that one in the ground. We are to share that through our life and how we relate to others, as well as share that message so that others can experience that as well. The second one is the gift of servanthood in the kingdom of God. And some some may look on a life of service to the Lord as a bondage and drudgery, but it is truly a blessing and the greatest honor that us as humanity could ever ever attain to you know we think about earthly positions sometimes and wouldn't it be nice to be promoted to that position but this is the greatest position that anyone could ever attain also the apostle paul mentions some of the ways that god enables his servants and so i want to read a scripture from ephesians 4 and i'll read verses 1 through 16 Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captive, captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it, but that he first descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, henceforth, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly, to, fitly joined together and compacted by that to which every joint supplieth, According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. To hear again in this scripture, we see that there is, and Paul makes clear that there is one faith, there is one God, there is one hope, but yet there is a diversity amongst the body of his bondservants and his his believers. And we see in in verse see here verse 11 he talks about different ways that he has enabled his bond servants to work together to to build up his kingdom to to build up the body and so that we can be rooted and grounded in christ and verse 14 it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive so the Lord has enabled men and women with these gifts, these possessions, to build up each other. And as I think about verse 14, you know, being rooted and grounded in Christ, you know, we are, as Psalms 1 says, the believer is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And that is in contrast to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. And some of you might understand this, this picture, but... As I think about that, um, the picture that comes to mind is a milkweed, and some of you probably understand this, but like when I when I go hunting, I take milkweed along, and you you throw that milkweed out, and that little um, seed will float around by every little draft that comes along, and you can see where the wind blows, and sometimes it'll you know do funny things because of the wind currents and that's what Paul is talking about here any little current of new doctrine or teaching that comes along we're we're taken by it but here God has enabled each one of us he has given each person here a gift to work together and the brothers and sisters here in the church are working together to build each other up so that we can become a better person and a better bond servant for Jesus Christ you know, if someone neglects their calling, not only does it, do they miss a blessing, but the body also suffers. Just as a physical body, if a member doesn't perform its job, the whole body suffers. And that's how it is if we neglect our calling from the Lord. 
Each person's gift is unique, and it's not the same or equal. Some will be called to greater responsibilities than others, but that's not the part that is important. As we saw in the, por- in the parable, what is important is that we faithfully carry out the calling that, it has God, that God has given us. The servant with two talent was wor- rewarded just like the servant with five. So that takes me into my next thought is be a faithful servant. You know, as we think about being a faithful servant, and I think where the third servant missed it was he f- failed to emulate his master. I think this is the main point of this whole parable. As Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples, he is preparing them for what lays ahead. And as we have been studying in Thessalonians, we see that there were some very hard times ahead for the disciples and their fellow believers. And Jesus was looking to prepare them for for this. And we need to look to Jesus for guidance on how to be... A bond servant. He was the ultimate example of a bond servant. In Philippians 2 5 7, it says, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men. We see many of the apostles often referring to themselves as bond servants of Christ. You know, the first century Christians also did a very good job at doing this. I think we understand that the name Christian comes from the meaning little Christ. And so they were given this because they were emulating Christ. And also in Second Corinthians 9, 6, Paul reminds us, says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also Reap generously, and again, Jesus demonstrated his generous example as he did not sow sparingly, but he was willing to give his very life, even though he was the son of the Almighty God. He was willing to spend his life here as a humble servant. Next, let's look at the master's response and his response to faithfulness. You know, here we see that, and even in the following parable, we see that we are saved through faith, but God will judge us by our actions. And we see that here in the example of the servants. They were judged by the way they handled the master's goods. And we also see that in the separation of the sheep and the goats. There was a reward for faithfulness due to their diligence. The faithful servants were given additional responsibilities. They were welcomed into the grace and joy of the Lord. And as we are faithful in our life of service to the Lord, we will be rewarded for our efforts. And as we follow the pattern of life we observe in Christ and his word, we can experience the peace and the joy that he gives our hearts. And that's not only here on this earth, but we will be reunited with him for eternity. Then our joy is complete, and we can experience the joy of knowing him fully. And also the master's response to neglect. At first glance, like I said before, we may think that the third servant had the safest strategy. He was making sure that the talent did not get lost. But as we dig deeper, we see the flaws in his thinking. When we consider his actions, we see that he was actually putting his own interests first. He didn't want to face the disapproval of his master You know, if he lost the talent through business, so he didn't even try. He was looking out for his own welfare first. He did not want to face the the wrath of the master. And if the master really thought that the, the best strategy was burying the talent, 
He could have done that before he even left on his journey. The purpose of leaving these talents in the hands of his servants is so that they would conduct business as he did. So the the servant points out that he didn't do what his master did. He failed to do it, do what he knew to conduct business in the way he knew his master would, and therefore he lost everything. And the talent was given to the other servants. The master called him an unprofitable servant because of his fear and laziness, and he was not rewarded for his neglect. So I think Jesus is making the point here that there will not be a reward for those who neglect the gifts of God, the possessions that he has given us in so many different ways. The life of a believer is one who is to be engaged and active in the faith, not just sitting by once we get saved. While the first two servants, you know, they were engaged in growing the master's possession, the third one was sitting idly by, making no effort to grow it whatsoever. The possessions didn't do anyone any good in the ground. And so I think, you know, we see the judgment in verse 29 there, and we see the compound effect of his bad decisions brought him to where he was judged for his neglect. So just briefly in closing, you know, I just want to consider this message that Jesus has given us in this parable. And I just want to consider the enormous bounty that the Lord has placed into our care. I think we truly can acknowledge that today we are living in a five-talent world. You know, I just want us to consider and think about what he has entrusted into each one of our care personally to be a steward of. You know, we have been richly blessed spiritually by his grace. He has extended bountiful grace to us. We've been blessed by his word. You know, we have free access to the word of God here today. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. We have a supportive church family. And many of you here today have been blessed with the teaching of scripture from childhood. And also blessed very bountifully in the physical sense. And... um, I just thought I'd share a few um, thoughts from Gary Miller's book. On, it's called This Side of the Global Wall. I know I've mentioned this book before, but I just want to share this a little bit to stir our thinking a little bit how unprecedented a time we are living in. In 1914, the average American wage was $750 per year. Here, 100 years later, in 2014, it's 53000 In 1914... of our yearly income was used for food and clothing, but in 2014, only 13% of our average income is used for food and clothing. Compare that to today, and over 1 billion people live on $2.50 per day. That includes 280 million people that live in extreme poverty who live on less than $1.25 today. That's less than $1,000 per year that these people are living on. So we have been extremely blessed in, in this um, country that we live in. And I think we have a great responsibility to steward that wisely. And I'm not sharing this to guilt anyone, but it just stir our thinking on what we do with what God's given us. What am I doing with the master's goods is it purely for my own benefit, or am I actively engaged in blessing the master what he has entrusted into my care? So as we think about this, you know, I just hope that 
we would be faithful to the Lord, that we would seek his wisdom, seek wisdom from him, and be faithful in following the example that Jesus has set for us as a willing bondservant. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we come to you today and we just thank you that you have so abundantly blessed our lives today. We just thank you that you have allowed us the privilege of being your servants, that we have the opportunity to serve you. And I just pray that you would guide us through your spirit as we work to spread your message to the world. And just pray that you would help us to be wise stewards of what you have entrusted in our care. I just pray that you would Bless each one here today. Grant them wisdom in knowing how to live that out in each one of their lives. And just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give a song? Yeah, let's stand and sing number 738 in Song of Faith and Praise. 